0: So we're going to go off straight away up to see our oldest son. I've got my daughter here this morning as well, my Liz. And a um, little story about my Liz. I, I used to work for ICI at one time in my life and I worked for the Decorative Products Paints Division. You remember that dog, Dulux dog and all that. And um, one of the perks of the job was that you got your paint free if the tin was damaged. So I used to say to the reps, could you kick a tin in for me of, you know, whatever. And uh, we decorated our house. This new, well, not new, but it was new to us. Um, and it was just lovely. And I came home after the first day and to see that someone had painted or done it in black ink, a man on this brand new stuff. Can you imagine how you would feel? And it turned out it was Liz. So I said to her, what happened? She said, well, she said, it wasn't my fault. Andrew went by and he jogged my arm and I accidentally drew a little man. (laughs) Now that's gone down in history in our family, and what Yvonne does when she goes out and spends a lot of money, she says, not my fault, she said, it was Liz's fault, she jogged my arm and I accidentally wrote out a big big check. <laughs> so, there you go. So we're looking, um, just for a short while, uh, at uh, Acts of the Apostles, and we've been going through it, um, guys, so wonderful, isn't it, to... I just love being here. So glad I'm a Christian today. Are you? And I was just thinking when we were worshipping there that being a Christian isn't receiving the Lord Jesus into your heart. Being a Christian is being received by the Lord Jesus into his heart. And when you go into somebody's heart, you want to know what they're like, don't you? want to know, what are you like? What kind of life have I come into? Is your life relevant to Alpington and Green Street Green? What kind of life is this that I've got myself into? Is it wonderful to be this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ, into his life and culture, following him? It's wonderful, isn't it? Love it? Moments... Of sheer bliss sometimes, just, oh God, I can't, I, this is like a fairy tale. This is a fantasy. You really do love us. You really do. And this is, here's the thing about that little story about Liz. When I challenged her about it, she held her and hands out. I said, what should I do? And she said, because I used to say to her, God loves us as much as this. And she said, because you love me, Daddy, as much as that. You realise you are so loved this morning. You are so touched by God. I don't want to sit around worrying about what I haven't got and thinking everybody else has got more. I want to praise God for what I have got. And what I have got this morning is the anointing of the Holy One. And that anointing, says John, remains and stays on us this morning. You're anointed. You are. Stop. We don't have to go down. I probably will. But if we don't have to go down to Corn Brown or wherever, we're anointed, aren't we? The Lord Jesus actually lives in our hearts. And as Mike was praying this morning, oh, it's rivers of living water. And I said last night, you know, I said, I, it really came to me that, that the Scripture says that you have left your first love. It doesn't say you've lost it. It says you've left it, which implies I can return to it. I can come back to it. So return to your first love this morning. Return to joy. Return to fullness. Because that is wonderfully available to us. Well... Acts of the Apostles. Here it is. We've got up to Acts 5. I'm just going to read a few verses from Acts 6 and uh, 7. And um, I'll just comment on this, um, this part. While the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry uh, of the word, and uh, what, just in passing, um, it's ministry, it's, it's a word called diaconia, okay, and is applied to the ministry team and the deacons, so there is no difference, ministry is ministry. One is not superior and another is inferior. They are the same. And each one of us in this church has a ministry. You are anointed by God with a ministry. See, I said this before, but when I I first became a Christian, we had this hierarchical thing in the church. And right at the top of the tip was the cross-cultural missionary. Do you remember him? There he was and there she was. And they were the very tip. They were the ones that we all aspired to be like. And we were thrilled with the stories of uh, those who were slain by the uh, Jim Elliot and uh, the the Orca Indians and all of that, who, who, as you know, that that tribe came to the Lord. And... uh, but, but that's what we aspire to. But, you know, to do that, you had to go to a theological college, you had have training. Um, so, but if you couldn't do that, if you weren't that committed, well, you could become a pastor of a church. And if you couldn't do that, well, you could go to work. And that's how we looked at it, honestly. We, we saw it like that. And actually, we need to get that hierarchical model and turn it on its head and let it work the other way. Because you have a ministry from God. I mean, the fact that I stand up here and am called the pastor, it doesn't mean I've got three stripes and that uh, you've got to obey what I say. You wouldn't anyway. You are such a difficult church. If I started coming the old acid with you and started putting rank on, you would push me out within three months, wouldn't you? Is that true, ma? Two months, there you go. There you go. See, I've only existed here because I've adopted this theology, and it's you lot that have made me think like this. But hey, no, I don't believe that, actually. I think that ministry in terms of leadership is not over anyone. Alright? Not over you. It's under you. It gets underneath and it lifts people up into the presence of Jesus. That's what I think my job is. I'm not brilliant at administration or anything like that, but I, I want to bring the presence of God. and I want to lift people into the presence of Jesus. So this is nothing to do with status or ranking. We believe and exalt the notion in this church that every believer is a priest before the living God. We are living stones together. And if you want to know who the senior pastor of this church is, it's a bloke called Jesus. Peter says, behold him, the chief shepherd of the flock. He's the one, isn't he? fantastic so it's the same word those that serve those who do one may be a sacred task one may be a social task but we are all of the same ilk and spirit and ranking and status and aren't you pleased about that but I'd like to try the other way and just see what it's like to be a bit just to see what it feels like so, um, so there's that, um, and then we come across this man called Stephen, and uh, Stephen, it says, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And then there arose some men who argued with them, and they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, and then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us, and fixing their gaze on him All who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. We've seen the twisted, contorted face of religious hatred this week. And it's horrible, isn't it? Absolutely. It's what religion does to people. Religion has done nothing for this country. Just makes us jealous and envious and bitter and angry. It was for envy these men arrested the early disciples because they were jealous. They were, they were the professionals, they were the ones who were specially trained to preach and bring the word of God. And here comes a load of nobodies who leapfrogs over them, full of the Holy Spirit and anointing, and draws the crowds. I mean, that would really anger you, wouldn't it? It's fantastic. We've seen the horrible, twisted, contorted face of hatred and religion. Thank God for that girl who stood in front of him. She's a Christian, you know. She said uh, Christian values came right into play at that moment when she said, give me that sword, give me that cleaver. Fantastic. Here's a question. What things in the Bible makes us overcome us? What is it that makes us overcome? And the answer is problems. <laughs> Isn't it? It's problems. That's what makes us overcome. We didn't have adversity. We wouldn't be overcomers. What made David great you know what made David great Goliath that's why we remember David what made Winston Churchill great Adolf Hitler if it wasn't for Adolf Hitler we I think Winston would still be in the wilderness even to this day but it's adversity isn't it it's it's problems that make us Overcome and win, and I just noticed. Uh, I'm not going to speak for very long, but then then Stephen uh, goes into this incredible uh, preach, which goes on. I, I, I read it. It takes about five minutes to read, so I'm not going to read it too. But I'll just um, just just pick out a few bits. But it's it's a kind of balloon ride into history. <laughs> The high priests, they fix their eyes on him and they say, are these things so? And he says, hear me now. Hear me now, brothers and fathers. That's how he starts off. He finishes it by saying, you betrayers, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as you're fathers did and in between uh, he just tells stories about Abraham, Moses um, Joseph and then I noticed this, he said um, at that time they made a calf they brought a sacrifice to the idol, they were rejoicing in the works of their hands but God turned away and delivered them to serve the hosts of heaven What do you think that is? As it is written, it was not to me they offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? You took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the stars of the gods, Morpha. the images which you made to worship. So they they just... (laughs) I mean, this is what Stephen is pointing out to them. You were in the horoscopes. You were... Not religious. You were flipping superstitious. You made a golden calf. So he's kind of in this uh, history book. He he is um, telling them exactly. Now, this is the way I've done this. Stephen has big ideas. Stephen has a big heart. Stephen has a big vision of God, which is why I'm so glad I didn't contact Uh, Alex, but she just exalted us this morning, and we just were worshipping a great big God. What would be the subject of your last sermon? If you knew you'd got one more sermon to preach, what would it be? What would you concentrate on? And how would you cope with being martyred? You woke up one morning and thought, today I'm going to be martyred. (laughs) I think perhaps because maybe we're coming to this kind of stuff, unthinkable as it is uh, in our country, maybe it is that when we cope with lesser things before you become a martyr, you know, the, the, the irritability, when you're angry with your husband and you want to tell him off or... Your wife is always right. I've just bought a thing for Yvonne. It says, if at first you don't succeed, try doing it the way the wife told you. (laughs) Put it up uh, in the kitchen. But maybe it's when we overcome the smaller things. See, it's a bit like this. Why don't we see more healings in this country? Why are people still dying of cancers? Why can't we do it? Well, why don't we start doing it on a smaller level and start building up our faith and seeing that God can heal? See, it's, sometimes it's just too much, and we're, our faith isn't there. And sometimes when we're praying for people, we're not praying in faith, we're just superstitious, really. So maybe, maybe it's those little irritable things. Um, Those smaller things. And here is Stephen, a man full of wisdom, being indicted with his last chance to say something. And here he is, and he's accused of blasphemy towards the law and the temple. And uh, when I read it, I thought, he's playing for time. Um, He's called to account. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't defend... Uh, his friends, he just goes on the attack and accuses them. I mean, it's just brilliant. He just turns the whole thing around and attacks them. And this is what he said. He said, you are trying to lock God up in your temple. You think God just lives in a temple. And then he gives them a history lesson. He says, Abraham, you know where God spoke to Abraham... In Mesopotamia, the Ur of the Chaldees. Didn't speak to him in church or in Israel. He spoke to him in another country. Where did God speak to Moses? He spoke to Moses in Midian or in the Sinai. Where did God speak to the Jews? He spoke to them in the wilderness. Jesus himself said, when Naaman, the leper, was healed, he wasn't in Israel. The prophet had to go outside of Israel for him to get touched. Jesus also said that the widow of Zarephath, when Elijah needed uh, sustenance, wasn't in Israel, it was somewhere else. And here is Stephen really winding them up. No, no, you can't lock God up. You can't say God lives just here. Remember at school when we had a teacher who was a Christian and he used to try and preach to us and uh, so we'd say things like, Well, where is God, sir? He said, He's everywhere. I said, Well is he in the ink pot? And he said, Yes, I suppose he has got him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing, we haven't got him, but he's got us. He has got us. Stephen, if you read it, he's getting the big ideas of the Old Testament. Please this morning, don't think there isn't grace in the Old Testament or the Old Testament is irrelevant. Do you know there are some preachers in America now who are telling their congregations not to read the Old Testament? Because it's kind of like saying, well, in the Old Testament, they were so dysfunctional and um, things were so bad that, you know, in the end, God had to send Jesus and he kind of did the whole thing properly, which we know is true. We know it's true. But it says in the scriptures that Jesus came to fulfill, fulfill, to fill full of himself. He filled the law full of himself. He fulfilled the law. He embodied the law. But that does not eradicate the importance of the Old Testament. And what, uh, as well as accusing, Stephen is saying, look, do you know anything about Abraham? Do you know that he came from a family that made idols? He made stuff that was for idol worship. Abraham. And God got hold of Abraham and said, you're going to be part of my story. I'm going to use you. And what Stephen is saying is, listen, I'm trying to tell you about a God who is faithful to you, who hasn't given up on you, oh Israel. Oh yes, he's accusing them. Oh, but he's saying at the same time, this God of mine is faithful. He was faithful to Abraham called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He had a centrally heated home, by the way. God drew him out. And the amazing thing, this man who twice said his wife was his sister because he was scared that he'd get persecuted, this man did it. He did it as broken and as dysfunctional as he was. And these stories in the Old Testament are really important And I would say to you, read the Old Testament because there's grace in law, I can tell you. He said, and then there's Moses. Moses, who was a murderer. God put him in the backside of the desert for 40 years. It's extraordinary. It's as if these people step out of the pages of the Bible with all of their failure this morning and they say, I blew it, I was a murderer but you can trust him. You can have faith in this God. Moses goes to a superpower. Let my people go. Takes two and a half million people through the wilderness in that great crocodile walk. I mean, you can imagine Moses, can't you? I think about this. I think when he was telling these stories, I bet he said, You wouldn't believe this. You wouldn't believe this. We, were, we got to the Red Sea and we couldn't get across. He said, And you know what? I got my rod and I held it up and I stood in front of the people and I said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Do you know what happened? What happened, Granddad? He said, The flaming sea opened up. And we were being pursued by all these soldiers. We were going to be killed. It's amazing. And what he's saying is, this God, this morning, brothers and sisters, he loves us. He's committed to us. He's faithful. He talks about Joseph. I mean, Joseph, the dreamer, tells his brothers, you're all going to fall down and worship me. How would you like a brother to come and say that to you? I had a dream last night, and uh, you were worshipping me. You were kneeling down and before me. I mean, I, you'd want to thump him, wouldn't you? And the story of Joseph, how his brothers sell him into Egypt, how he's in Potiphar's house, how the wife accuses him of rape, how he's sent to prison, how, how in one leap... God took this man from the prison and put him second in command of the greatest superpower. And his brothers, it's just an extraordinary story. And Joseph is standing here this, this morning. These people are not dead. What do you think Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, he grabbed two of them out of history. And they were standing with him, Moses and Elijah. Where did you get those from? Where do they come from? Don't you look at that something, oh me, (laughs) where would you get them from Lord? (laughs) Well because they're not dead, they are not dead, they're alive and they're praying for us. Did you know that? Book of Revelation says that. Bowls in heaven, the vials that are being filled by the prayers of the saints. That's not just us, that's those who've gone on, they're praying for us. We don't pray to them. (laughs) All right. (laughs) But they pray for us. It's wonderful. And here it is. You can trust this God. He's faithful. Big ideas, Stephen. Wonderful ideas from the Old Testament. But here's something else that Stephen's saying. He's saying, you know what? God prefers to live in a tent. A tent? Not a temple. Can't we park him in suburban Jerusalem in a nice bungalow so we don't have to worry about him anymore? I mean, if you thought that God only lived in here, when you go outside, you could do as you like, couldn't you? Because he's not there. (laughs) This is what he's saying. This is a very big idea. This is saying God is just everywhere. And it's wonderful. (laughs) Why did God like living in a tent? And I thought this, this morning. It's because he's a moving God. It's because he's a God who's on the move. It's because he doesn't want us to to pitch down and stay forever. It's because this God that we worship and love is a living God who's on the move. And then in his preach, he says this, but Solomon, you read it, but Solomon built a temple. (laughs) <laughs> and of course you know the story of the temple how it just became a great clearing house it was just awful the way it was defiled and people were making money and Jesus goes with his small cord and whips out whips out the money changers and then stands there and says someone bigger than the temple here someone bigger than Jonah here Someone bigger than Solomon is here. Someone bigger than the temple. And what God is saying is the temple is our Lord Jesus. On the move. Fantastic. My goodness. And he's, wouldn't that upset religious people, saying all that stuff. And this is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. Big hearted. Big vision. Big vision. (laughs) Stephen focused beyond death to the stream of God's grace. It's almost as like Jesus himself. He's running towards his destiny. He's running towards death. He's going to leap into it. He's going (laughs) to... In his last moments, right when he needed affirmation and confirmation. I see Jesus and heaven open. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the majesty on high. He had a big vision. He beheld the Lord in his glory. What are you beholding this morning? What are you looking at? What is it that you're looking at And you're comparing yourself with it. And you're like a grasshopper and you want to run away. When we are called to behold the glory of the Lord. Our God is a big God. Jesus is bigger than any problem in our lives this morning. Heaven is opened. And there he sees the glory of God and Jesus standing, not sitting. Hebrews says he sat down, he's standing up. Why is that? Because he's welcoming his son, he's welcoming Stephen into heaven. Oh, this is wonderful. We, and I say this, we should be more impressed with the Holy Spirit than the horrible, contorted, twisted. I don't want to listen to the devil's voice. I want to hear the voice of God. I want to be more impressed with the Holy Spirit than people's faces, don't you? I want to see beyond, get that vision. Stephen, you've got a big vision because you've got a big God without limits. I remember my granddaughter Amy. and one night when she was sleeping at our house and I turned the light out and I slept in the the room with her that night and she said, Papa, is your face towards me? Yeah, I'm looking at you. I'm here. The face of God is towards you this morning, brothers and sisters. We have a very big, wonderful God who loves us and who is committed to us. And our vision of God (coughs) and our view of God determines our theology and our behaviour. And if you think that God is like some great big, I don't know, you think he's pinched and mardy and miserable and niggardly, then that's what you'll be like. But I want to tell you that this God that we worship here is wonderful. He's like Jesus. And he's so good. And when you look into his face, and your face shines as well. And the anointing of God comes on you. And it is wonderful. It is wonderful. Watching all this was a young man who was collecting the clothes up, which meant that he was a leader, because they gave him their clothes. They took Stephen up the side of a mountain and threw him off. That's how they did it. And then they picked up paving stones and boulders and they threw them down. That's how they killed them. That's why they died from stoning. It wasn't just throwing stones at them. It was throwing them down the cliff. And as he's dying, just like the Lord Jesus, he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And watching is a young man who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Where is Gamaliel now? (laughs) We could do with him. (laughs) Our young man went on to write one third of the Bible. That young man saw, we owe to Stephen's prayer, Lord, lay not this sin against them. We owe that prayer to the salvation of Saul. He saw it. He saw it and he was deeply convicted as he saw it. And he went on his furious way and he didn't get converted in Israel either. He got converted on the way to Damascus, didn't he? My son has to go to America. Aren't you... (laughs) Why can't he get saved here? I don't understand it. I don't. But there it is. We sometimes have to let them go and sometimes we have to go as well. Sometimes God just says, okay, I'm going to let you go. Even in sin, just let you let sin run its course in their life. So they begin to realize, oh God, I need, I need to be saved. Sometimes that's the way it is. And God allows this man, Saul of Tarsus. I've been to his house in Tarsus. I pray walked around Tarsus with Yvonne and some others. And there's a Little special, the Turks have done really well, but to stand there and think, My goodness! And we went to the church where it says, uh, Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, it's still there. The Turks have left it. Amazing little places where you can go, where these fantastic things are recorded for us. And that prayer saved the Apostle Paul. And we're going to be learning a little bit more about him in future weeks. Stephen, big heart, big ideas, (coughs) big vision. We need a big vision. Say this, we should be far more interested in life than we are. We should take an interest in what's going on in our world. We should stop being so religious and so (coughs) focused on one thing and get our hearts involved in all kinds of stuff so that we can preach this glorious gospel to people. Amen? Look at that, i finished bang on 12 o'clock. Praise the Lord.